I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and a very warm welcome to a new business podcast from The Times. We're going to be looking at the biggest stories here at the UK and, of course, elsewhere. I'm Robert Miller. This week, we'll be talking about the UK economy in the run-up to the general election, and we'll take a look at what to expect from over in the United States. We're going to get some job numbers from there. Back home again, we're also going to be finding out what's in store for Sainsbury's and GlaxoSmithKline. I'm joined today by Richard Fletcher, The Times business editor, Philip Aldrich, our economics editor, and Andrew Clark, the deputy business editor. Welcome to you all. Let's start with you, Phil. The final run-up to the general election, and uh, the economy has taken a very key role in this and we've got some PMI services and construction numbers. Now, they're going to be the final snapshot on the state of the UK economy so given that we've had very weak growth, what are they going to tell us? They're going to be a whole lot better than the GDP numbers uh, that we've had. The private sector activity data that you get out of these purchasing manager indices has been consistently relatively strong. So for the first quarter they were even suggesting that we grew at about 0.7%. These will be for April they're going to be pointing to continued strong momentum. The problem is uh, that hasn't that hasn't come through in the official hard data that we saw in the uh, in the first quarter. So um, coming into the election, it'll it'll look good. This particular measure of the economy will look good, but the uh, but obviously you know Labour can still hit back and say the actual hard data was pretty weak last week. Richard, the political angle on this. How do you think business is going to feel about this? About the election or about mm. the PMI numbers? No, about the PMI numbers. Oh, well, I mean, the PMI numbers, obviously, will, will, the, the economy is very much tr- being the agenda this week, and I'm sure, uh, having stuck with the economy for almost all, the whole campaign, uh, the Conservatives will stick with the economy for, 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 for next week as well. I, I think the interesting there was a very interesting piece in the Times uh, on Thursday, which we'll put up uh, on our page, which basically looked at the fact that although voters uh, trusted, believed that Tory policies were good for the economy, they didn't actually believe that Tory policies were good for them personally, which uh, is, is, you know, is quite an interesting um, interesting, uh, finding, really, because it sort of suggests that uh, they don't, you know, individual voters don't expect to be better off personally, which is a which is, you know, very damaging for the Conservatives. Would you agree, Andrew? 
Yeah, I think I broadly agree with that. I mean, the, the whole, uh, well, a large part of the Conservative um, approach is that if you vote for us, we will be fiscally responsible, but we're not going to give much away. So there is a sort of sense of self-sacrifice in voting Tory. I mean, any any kind of economic news is quite interesting in a political context at the moment, because you can argue it both ways. You can argue that good news is good news for Osborne, because it proves that his approach has been working, or you can argue that bad news is good news for Osborne, because when times are tough, people will, will opt for um, economic responsibility but obviously for the nation as a whole to see the PMIs beginning to um, pick up would be would be um, marvellous. Yeah. I suppose it brings us to the question that seems to exercise a lot of people these days, interest rates, historic lows for so long. If they were to rise, what sort of impact would it have on people? Well, the <clears throat> interest rates have been, have been on hold really in, over the last few months for a number of reasons, but one reason has definitely been the election because of the uncertainty about you know what the outcome would be. Um, so once that's out of the way, we we, we could actually see a, a, some momentum uh, gathering at the Bank of England for interest rate rises. You know, obviously there is negative, there is zero inflation at the moment, but uh, they look out to two, two to three years, and, and it should show that returning to two percent. The the impact of uh, higher rates on households, there's there is still a very large number of households who will struggle with higher rates unless pay starts rising quite rapidly. Um, so it will be damaging, yeah. I mean, sticking to the interest rate theme, but then switching over across to America, we're going to have these non-farm payroll numbers. And of course, the reason they've had very sluggish first quarter growth over there, and it's all about interest rates there as well, isn't it? With perhaps September penciled in as a possible date. What are we going to hear from these job numbers, first of all? Uh, last month, the job numbers were pretty bleak. They came in at, at roughly half what was expected. Um, there's been a whole lot of weather problems. Uh, I was going to say, almost in, as bleak as their winter, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's been, they, had a, they had a tough time and uh, in terms of the cold snap. But the, uh, the data came in about 126,000 uh, in, in terms of uh, new jobs created. And that was half what was expected. So if we don't get if the US doesn't get over 200,000 jobs uh, in the payroll uh, data that's coming up that will certainly be seen as a disappointment and the US Federal Reserve which which sets interest rate policy in America they specifically pointed to transitory uh, measures uh, transitory reasons for the the weak GDP figures they had in the first quarter um, if you see continued poor job creation that transitory could could begin begin to look a little more permanent and uh, a June a June rate rise had been on the cards probably not till September now and you know it could even it could even get pushed further back than that why, why do they get so wound up about these job numbers in the US I mean it's like I mean, maybe it's just people I follow on Twitter but it seems like it's a sort of you know a regal occasion it, everyone gets very very jumpy the markets obviously do you know it has a lot of effect on the why are they so... Well, the, the US Federal Reserve has has specifically, and it's very much like the Bank of England, they're, they're pointing to labour market indices to to judge whether the economy is actually firing again. They have an unemployment remit as well. So, so they are keeping an eye on uh, on specifically on uh, the jobs market. So, so you you know you will be looking at in America. You will specifically be looking at inflation, and you will be looking at jobs, which would be which would be why they get so particularly uh, animated by these uh, by these numbers. Do you think that when interest rates like here over there rise, that the American economy is a little more robust than we are at their stage in this recovery? 
Oh, yeah, they're definitely way ahead of us in the, in terms of their recovery. I mean, their productivity is is marching ahead. Uh, they've got lower unemployment. They've uh, they've got they've got wages picking up more rapidly than us in in, in, in on all the sort of technical, complicated economic uh, measures. They they are they are ahead of us. So I mean, they they should go first. I mean, they should raise rates, and we should be going you know re- relatively short shortly after after them. So yeah, if you if you're looking for a sign for when rates are going to rise, you know see what the US does and add sort of three to six months, I reckon. All right, well, let's just have a look at the UK corporate scene for the moment and uh, starting with the full year results. Andrew, I don't think anyone can remember ever such a competitive time in the supermarket. We've all been part of it. Sainsbury's was once the dominant player. It's not anymore, is it? I mean, what are we going to hear from them this week? Well, we're going to hear that profits uh, are uh, significantly down. Analysts are expecting profits for about £655 million, which compares to uh, £798 million uh, last year. And I think what what people will be looking for is just uh, a sign of quite how fierce the competitive battle on the high street is. There's been a little bit of uh, evidence in statistics and and anecdotal evidence recently that the competitive onslaught by Aldi and Lidl, the discounters, has slowed just a little bit and that their their winning of market share from the likes of Tesco's and Sainsbury's may have eased back a bit. So if there's there's anything to um, cling on to in Sainsbury's results, it's likely to be that. Clinging on to that, Richard, have we really all changed our shopping habits and is Sainsbury's actually almost fighting a losing battle in that context or is this just a passing phase? No, I think we have changed how we shop. I mean, uh, we, I think a couple of things have happened really. I think one, I think that we've we've seen the rise of the discounter and not just Aldi and Lidl, which obviously are known, but the pound shops also sell a lot of food, compete with the supermarkets on, on a lot of lines. So we've seen that rise. And then we've also seen a change in shopping habits. So... You know, when I, uh, you know, 20 years, 20, 30 years ago, you do one big shop a, a week. I remember my mum coming home and you were there to unpack it. Uh, you know, so people did one big shop a week and uh, that, that and, and, and you were very loyal and you went to the same supermarket. And as we've seen this rollout of convenience shopping and, and lifestyles have changed and people now, they, they may well do one uh, big shop once a week or every couple of weeks and do the big bulky items. But increasingly shoppers are topping up at convenience they are you know they're 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 buying just for a few days ahead and that has changed the way people have shopped and that's affected you know loyalty and people are less loyal perhaps to one supermarket than they once were and also in terms of uh, uh, pricing you know supermarkets have lost what in retail they call pricing architecture a terrible phrase sorry to use it but they've basically lost their, their their pricing power and people you know just don't believe supermarkets are as cheap as they once were they do believe the discounters are cheaper and that's partly because you know the economics of convenience stores are different so your prices in your in what your about Tesco metric... in this though I mean they seem to be a beneficiary don't they you, I mean, you both of you you mentioned people top up hasn't Marks and Spencer's in a funny way been a beneficiary of this then the, the stores at the higher end of the market both Marks and Spencer and Waitrose have done relatively well not brilliantly but because uh, those who have a little bit of extra money to spend are still willing to um, to splash out Sainsbury's is actually in a slightly uncomfortable position because of uh, a perception that its strategy is a little bit less clear so Mike Coop the Sainsbury's boss who as we know is struggling to avoid prison in Egypt at the moment his uh, his approach has been to emphasize the um, the quality of Sainsbury's products and not got not go down the 
price cutting avenue to quite the same degree as Tesco and Asda. Well, it could be worse, isn't it? They might have been Tesco with that thumping loss. But the other company we're going to be hearing from is an investor day, I know. But GlaxoSmithKline, what do you think investors most want to hear about that? Well, GlaxoSmithKline is going through a period of very considerable change. So they've just done a huge asset swapping deal with Novartis, which involved selling all their cancer treatments to Novartis, buying Novartis's vaccines business and creating a joint venture in consumer healthcare. That's those over-the-counter products like Aquafresh toothpaste and things like that. So what investors will want to hear from Andrew Whitty this week is is how much money can he save uh, having created these new businesses what are his long-term thoughts on what GlaxoSmithKline should look like and just finally there is a, a likelihood of a spin-out of Glaxo's AIDS HIV AIDS business which is called Vive and which might command a valuation of as much as 15 billion pounds it's, it's a big day for, for, for Andrew Whitty isn't it because he's he, 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 he's, he's the, he, the city's slightly lost confidence in him he was the golden boy but you know problems in China you know uh, it, this is a big day for him isn't it he's got to, it, this is his chance to restore city confidence isn't it absolutely i mean as you say he 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 talked a lot about ethics when he joined but that reputation has been somewhat tarnished by a corruption scandal in china and on a more prosaic level one of glaxo's biggest earners is an asthma drug called adver and adver has suffered very badly in the us from competition from a rival made by astrazeneca so um, behind the headlines about these big corporate transactions one of glaxo's core businesses asthma is not doing as well as investors had hoped and that's a big problem for andrew witty looking at the the sector as, as i do from perhaps slightly afar one thing that strikes me is they all seem to be on hyperactive pills or something there's mergers takeovers it is the news driving sector in the stock market really isn't it Yes, indeed. Um, and I think one of the reasons for that is that um, there is uh, a lot of austerity going on in healthcare authorities around the world. We had Obamacare being introduced in the US and then in Europe, all the different countries are facing economic trouble and cutting back on how much they spend on pills and medicine. And that has meant that everyone wants to do deals to cut costs in order to keep profits going despite a declining sales line. And there was all the tax inversion stuff as well, which made this. Some, for some reason, the pharmaceutical industry was particularly attractive on that front. Absolutely, yeah. So you had Pfizer coming in for AstraZeneca unsuccessfully um, and uh, also uh, a US bid for Shire Pharmaceuticals that didn't go through, but lots of uh, lots of attempts to do these deals that will take you to uh, a lower tax regime. And the Americans blocked that, didn't they, Richard, in the end? Or they said they frowned on well, it? Well, Obama said he frowned on it and that kind of scuppered the deals overnight because, you know, these mega deals we're now talking about in the pharmaceutical centre, they take years to complete rather than it's not even months but in some it would be some of these mega deals would have taken over a year to complete and if you know the threat that Obama might change the rules on inversion during that during that process I think effectively scuppered a number of deals I think that's true yes uh, Richard but um, the, the, the one thing to bear in mind in the drugs industry is that the long-term outlook is actually quite good because we have aging populations around the world and it's in those last couple of decades of life that people use so much more healthcare so much so many more medicines and meanwhile we have some emerging markets uh, in uh, Asia uh, uh, China India Brazil places like that where people are reaching uh, a level where they are willing to buy patented drugs so in in the long term uh, there's a lot of potential for these big drugs companies it's just that they have a, a, a bit of a hump to get over at the 
moment. Just going back to the, U- to the UK election on that front, I was talking to some investors recently who were saying that the one of the big risks for pharmaceutical industries is, is, a, is a minority government with, of endless uncertainty and uh, not knowing exactly ha- who's going to be shaping regulation or uh, changing the rules around uh, uh, these industries which need to know I mean, if you've got a 20 year um, you know, return pipeline you need, you need certainty so uh, it's, one, it's one sector that could get hit after the election if we end up in, in a sort of stalemate pr- situation yeah. But one way or another, they'll be put out of their misery a lot quicker than some of these mergers seem to take. Well, just a quick reminder, we'll also be hearing from a number of other heavyweights. William Morrison, another supermarket in BT, and a raft of insurers, Direct Line, RSA, Eshore, and of course, Legal in General. And you can check out all those results and all the latest breaking news as it happens on our Business Now live blog on the business page of our website. And don't forget, time subscribers, you can also sign up to our daily morning and lunchtime emails that keep you up to date with everything that's happening wherever you are. And if you don't have a subscription, you can get one easily enough. It's a £1 offer by going to thetimes.co.uk. My thanks to Richard Fletcher, Philip Aldrich and Andrew Clark, and you can follow them all on Twitter. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. 